I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Heavy Live with Scoop B. I am Brandon Scoop Robinson, senior writer at Heavy.com. It's always a party when we've got familiar faces. I think this guy is Tiki Barber, host at CBS Sports Radio, a published author, and I learned Mm -hmm. you today. Um, You, as an actor, were on the read of Nightwing. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard that in a long time, Scoop. <laughs> First of all, welcome to the show, TV. I appreciate you, Scoop, man. Blessings to you and to everyone out there. Happy holidays and be safe, obviously. But yeah, Knight Rider. I played Sergeant Berber. I was <laughs> caught up in a like a, a, a underground fight ring, and I ended, I ended up dying. I spent half of my scene just dead, laying on the table. <laughs> Scoop, that, that is the most right, like. Literally, like, maybe 10, 15 minutes before this interview, you know, just finishing up questions and stuff I have for you. I'm like, so I know this wasn't, like, David Hasselhoff, Knight Rider, but but no. still, it's still Knight Rider. Yes, it was. It was the reboot. I think it only lasted for a season, maybe maybe two. Um, but I remember getting that call. I was, I mean, I was at the end of my playing career, and they were like, hey, would you like to do an episode of Knight Rider? I'm like, you mean, like, Knight Rider with the, with the car? Like when I was a kid, I was like, "Hell yeah, I want to be on that!" And so I went out there. I was only out for about two days, and they they ran me through my lines, and you know, gave me my character and taught me some fight scenes because I get caught up in this fight match, this underground cage match, and get choked out. Uh, on, uh, you know, in the, in the and they find me dead. And it, the mystery is how did Sergeant Berber, not Barber, Berber, end up dead? Uh, and they find out it was because of this underground fight thing. So it was kind of cool, man. It was it was fun. I had a good time. Random question: Did you know 
that the voice of Kit is Mr. S- Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Get out of here. That's Mr. Are you kidding? Yeah. I had no idea. I had no, I mean, I watched that show when I was I don't know, 12 years old or something. It was a, it was a long time ago. Um, but I never even made that connection. You learn something new every day, Scoop. Thank every, you, brother. Every <laughs> question. What's up? How slept on is your twin brother, Rondé Barber? Very. And you know why? And it's unfortunate, too, because it's partly my fault. Um, you know, we, we, being identical twins, we were always synonymous with each other, even when we were in high school and, and college. And once we got to the National Football League, it was like, yeah, Rondé's great, but, you know, his twin brother's up in New York, and he, he, his twin brother's doing, you know, radio shows and on TV and, you know, just got this national profile while he's down there in Tampa being great. But nobody's paying attention because of of what, what I was doing. Um, but he played 16 years, Scoop, 16 years in one spot um, and won a championship at a place where, I mean, the Bucks were historically just brutal for a franchise. And then they brought in Tony Dungy to be their head coach, one of the first black head coaches in the NFL. And he turned the program around. Now, they moved on from him right before they won a championship. And John Gruden came in and won that championship, but it was all with Tony Dungy's players and Rondé was one of them, Hall of Fame caliber. So he, um, I think the other thing is why he gets slept on is unlike me, he shies away from like the spotlight. Like he's not, he's not looking for it, but being in New York, you can't help it. You know what I mean? So um, I think it's, uh, it's partly his personality, partly because he's in Tampa, which is a slower town. And you know, the other side of it is people just don't appreciate how good he was. When uh, and with everything that he was asked to do down in Tampa. In sports, do I know you've seen Horace Grant, Harvey Grant. You look at the Mars yep. in basketball. You look at the yep. twins. Is there like any type of organization for twins in sports? There isn't, but maybe I should start one. That's a good idea. Uh, you know, the, the McCordys, Devin and Jason McCordy, who are mm-hmm. still currently playing with the, with the New England Patriots, they're probably the most famous um, of the twins because they do so much with sickle cell and um, a bunch of the camps that they do in their off season and they're Super Bowl champions. Right. Um, and so, and so it, it helps that they have this high profile uh, from being on, you know, really the greatest dynasty that we've seen in the NFL in decades. And so I, I, there should be an organization because you think about how rare that is. Scoop. Like it's hard for one person forget you know but for two brothers and then two twins uh to make it to the professional ranks it's um it's it's rare and there's not a whole bunch of us uh but those that have that have done it we're kind of this small little community we actually should get together and do something that's a good idea bro <laughs> yeah and i want 10 percent. but what i what i say what i say is this like the reason why i bring that up is because when you look at the, the Morris twins um, yeah, your time and I believe yeah. as well. There's yep. a lot more connectivity that they have. Is that yep. for for twins in general? How different? How similar is that? What What do you think? Yeah, yeah. No. I, so here's the thing. You know, Markeith and and Marcus, they were both in L.A. last year. One yep. was with the Clippers. One was with the Lakers. Um, but you know, you grow up basically doing the same thing. For me and Rondé, we were in the same room. Like literally until we were 20 years old because we went to college together. And I think the same thing for a lot of these others. I know the Lopez's went to school together and um, I, I don't know if the Morris's did. I'm pretty sure they did as well. So for, I mean, half of your life, 
Um, you are literally with the same guy doing everything at the same time. But then at some point, you, you kind of have to grow up, you know? <laughs> like you, For us, me and Rondé was when we hit 22 years old. He got drafted to Tampa, which is a completely different lifestyle than living in New York. And I, you know, I didn't live in Jersey. I lived in New York at the time. I'm in Jersey now. But when I was playing, I was a New Yorker. And he was a Tampa, you know, uh, golfer. And I'm doing, you know, Broadway and, you know, business meetings and all these other types of things. He's chilling, going on vacations. And, and so over time, I think you just get, you, you don't grow apart, but you just become different, right? It's the whole nature versus nurture debate that's always out there. And twins are good studies for this. Um, because if you stay on the same path, you'll probably be very similar. But when you start walking different paths, paths, you get nurtured into into different interests and different ideas. You make different types of relationships. Um, and so, yeah, there are a ton of similarities. And Rhonda and I have the same cadence. Like we talk the same and we have the same, um, I don't know, like kicks, like personalities. Like we stand the same way if we're just chilling, hanging on a wall or something. Yeah. But our interests are very, very different because I came to New York and he went to Tampa. I mean, he's like a, he's like a three. He's like a three or four golf handicapper. I'm like a 23. You know what I mean? So it it, it just depends on what you what you what you fall into when you get older. You're the personality. He's the face, but he's got the the, the Super Bowl ring and the and the golf swing. That's right. And and six more years of game checks. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I two cornerbacks. Um, yeah. Did they be in the Hall of Fame? You know, it depends. And I think in the, in the old system of the NFL, a cover two corner was, it was, they call it the system guy, right? You just sit, sit in the system. You got to take the guy that goes to the flat. There's nobody that comes in the flat. You can lag back and basically double team that, uh, that outside wide receiver. And you can end up getting a bunch of interceptions. You know what I mean? So it's like, the system allowed you to get interceptions. But I think that, um, you know, in Rondé's case in particular, the the cover two uh, scheme that Monty Kiffin, their defensive coordinator at the time, employed was about you know, like pressing quarterbacks into making mistakes. And so while Rondé was the cover two corner, he also played inside as a linebacker. Um, he also got you know asked to cover you know the, the tight end at times. And so he's running down the middle of the field with guys that outweigh him by fifty pounds. He's asked to blitz. That's why he's got forty or thirty something sacks in his career. Um, he, he, he made, you know, a hundred tackles a season every year for the first, I don't know, 12 years of his career. And so, uh, yes, in, in, in a, in a, in a, uh, I guess the big picture, the big bubble of cover two, it's a system and it probably, you know, the system helps you. But when you get into the minutia, like the, the details of what some of these guys are asked to do, in particular Rondé, um, who I think mastered the slot corner. Um, position and change it and revolutionize it in the NFL. Those type of guys in the Hall of Fame, and I think Rondé certainly. Tiki, two part question. Go ahead. All right. So number one, how difficult was it for you uh, splitting touches with Rondé? Yeah, and was it difficult being viewed as a change of pace back initially. Yeah, you know. Early on, I didn't mind it at all because I wasn't good. I mean, at the end of my career, I was really good. I was rushing for, you know, 1,600 yards every season. But early in my career, I was just trying to stay on the team, man. It was like, dude, you want me to return punts? Yeah, I got that. Let me do that. You want me to be the third down back? Yeah, let me do that too, right? Like, whatever you you need me to return kickoffs or burn down, whatever you need me to do, have me do. So in 2000, 
when we drafted Ron Dane, who was, I mean, he was the man. He's the Heisman Trophy, one of the greatest running backs in the history of college football. Um, not just Wisconsin, but college football. He's one of the greatest. And we drafted him. And if he hadn't been such a cool, chill dude, like, and, and I don't know if you ever met Ron or had a conversation. He is so chill. And it made it easy for us to compete against each other. It was like, all right, bro, go ahead. You got this. All right, all right bro, I got this. And then Sean Payton changed our offense. So he made it where we had plays that were specific for me. Uh, and he called them lightning plays. And then there were plays that were specific for Ron. And he called them thunder plays, which is why we had this moniker, you know, back then called Thunder and Lightning. We tried to, like, market it and make T-shirts and stuff. And the NFL was like, ah, no, nah, hell no. Y'all ain't doing that. <laughs> and, so, and so, like, but, but we embraced it. Like, we embraced our dual roles. And I knew that I had a, a function. Um, and he knew that he had a function. And, in fact, it really worked. Right, that first year, I rushed for a thousand yards. It was my first career uh, season rushing for a thousand yards, and Ron rushed for like eight hundred yards. So people look at Ron like, oh, he didn't have a good. Like, actually, he did pretty well. The problem is, I started to get really good. Like the challenge of having someone come take my job, I think propelled me to become better. And that next couple of years, I really came into my own, and Ron became the situational guy. And I became the starter. So, um, so to answer your question directly, was it hard to be the situational guy? No, it was easy. But becoming that situational guy forced me to get better. And ultimately, I became the, 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 the star runner uh, for the team. But yeah, so sometimes people look at that as like this challenge and man, I'm not going to, what am I going to do? They don't want me. I'm expendable at this point. But it, dep- it all depends how you accept that challenge, you know? And I accepted it and my career took off from there. Hardest hit that you ever got. Oh man, this is, this is an easy one, and I'm, I mean, I, I only know it because I saw it, meaning on tape. They showed it to me on tape. So my rookie season, we're playing the uh, St. Louis Rams. They're still in St. Louis. We're playing the St. Louis Rams, mm-hmm. and we're running a stretch run down, out to the right side. And I was known, I was known to be a cutback runner. So I'd, I'd stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch, and then I put my foot in the ground and cut back. And so. I'm running this stretch. I'm like, dude, I see that cutback, but I'm, I'm going to hold it just for a second. I'm going to keep a couple more, couple more steps. And then I cut back without looking. And Toby Wright, who was the safety for the Rams, came from, I mean, I only know this because I saw it on tape. He came from about 15 yards deep. He knew I was cutting back, and he was beeline into this cutback hole. And I cut back without looking, and he drilled me right by temple. And I was out. I was unconscious. Well, the only time in my career that I've been fully unconscious uh, on, a, on a field. And uh, I laid down there for, I don't know, three or four minutes. I ended up getting up and going to the sideline. And uh, probably, I mean, back then they let you come back in if you got concussed. So I tried to come back in like three plays later. And um, uh, D- uh, Dave Brown was our quarterback. He calls the play. And I, and I, I remember, I, I can remember this part. I remember looking at him like, what, what, do, I, what do I do on this play? And he calls he call, he call the timeout. and like, get out of here. You're, like, you got to go to the sideline. Um, so that, that was my hardest hit and it was my rookie season. And then from that point on, I never cut back without looking. <laughs> it's, it's interesting you bring that up because from a, from a basketball perspective, I remember when Karis LeVert hurt himself Yeah, when he came back, I remember sitting down with him after a game last season or the season before last and said, yep. when you get back on the court, do you like think before you plant your feet? Is it like a process of, he was yeah. like, First, when you come on, you, you, you're, it's like teaching yourself how to walk. It's one thing when you're in practice. It's another thing 
you know, when you're in a game time situation. Yep. And That's so, exactly right. So, I mean, after that hit, what, how many games did it take you to kind of like? Oh, man, I, I, a lot. It took me probably four or five weeks before I felt comfortable doing that. You know, from then, from again, from that point on, I was always like, I'm just going to go where the play is supposed to go. Like, I know I'm protected if I'm heading where the play is supposed to go. And, and so it took me a long time. And, and, and the only way I really overcame it was probably – so, so, by the way, that happened my rookie season. Right. And then I stopped, being, I stopped being an every down back. So for like three years, I wasn't, I wasn't the guy. I didn't have those many opportunities. But then when I got older, and this is about the time Ron Dane got drafted that we were just talking about, I, I had learned how to study defenses and learned how to study players, like study their tendencies and know what they wanted to do. So Toby Wright, who I just mentioned, I mean, he knocked himself out of the league. Like he had, he himself had so many concussions that he he couldn't play the game anymore. And so you 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 you'd learn those guys. It's like know where Brian Dawkins is on the field at all times. Know where John Lynch is on the field at all times. So from that point on, I would get into the backfield and I knew I had a play. I'm like, all right, let me see where the safety is. Is he is he playing back? Is he in a zone? Or is he sneaking up towards the line of scrimmage? And if he's sneaking up to the line of scrimmage, I know I don't have any cutbacks. If he's backing up, I'm like, all right, I might be able to have a cutback on. So it was just like these little check marks. And they happen in microseconds. Like you don't you're not thinking about them consciously, you just kinda know. It's like, all right, he's backing up, I can't cut back. All right, he's coming up like all right, we gotta see. So it's it's learning how to study that helped me become the player that I was as I got a little bit older in my career. Tell me something. Jamal Adams. Yeah. His season of uh, going to Seattle. Yeah. More specifically, after leaving the Jets. Yeah. No, 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 no. Let's get it right. He forced his way out of the Jets. <laughs> it was James Harden before James Harden. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> get me the hell out. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Um, you know, I remember we talked about this at the, at the time because my partner on my radio show, Brandon Tierney, is a big Jets fan. And like he looked at it one way. He looked at it as, you know, great job by the Jets of getting some first round assets for a guy who was disgruntled. He was never going to be the right fit for us. You know, good job, New York Jets. I looked at it as, especially because, uh, you know, a few months, uh, a few weeks later, Le'Veon Bell basically did the same thing. He was like, I want out of here. You guys don't love, you know, I don't want to sell no love from you guys. I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me. They couldn't find a trade partner. So they ended up just cutting him. And now he's on the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Which is in, in, in a great, you know, asset for the Chiefs. So you essentially have two great players. Le'Veon Bell was, you know, all pro for a long time when he was in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jamal Adams is one of the best box safeties in the National Football League, he, he, he sacks, he tackles, he gets like he he, he disrupts everything that's going on uh, on a, from a defense, defensive perspective. And both of those guys force their way out of the Jets, and they they allowed it to happen. Yes, they got some assets back, right? But that's not going to pay off for at least two or three years. Now, maybe that coincides with them getting right. Who knows? But like the fact that you're you're forcing your way out of an organization and and celebrating that. Just strikes me as like odd. <laughs> um, so I think it was great for Jamal because he didn't want to be there, and it was going to be toxic. But I, as 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 good as it feels from a Jets fan Jets fan perspective, I think from a from a Jet evaluation perspective, it's it's a little bit troubling. The guys that the stars of the NFL don't want to be there, 
And then when they don't want to be there, you let them force their way out. That that that's the one thing that you know kind of rubs me a little bit wrong. Now, if they if they capitalize three three years down the line, then then great. But I mean, that's not a guarantee. We know that. I mean, who knows if the coach is still going to be there at that point? From a divisional rival standpoint or opinion, uh, do you feel for Deshaun Jackson who had a series yeah. of leg injuries the last couple of seasons? Yeah, no, I do. I mean, D. Jax, uh, it's he's he's a he was a stud, you know, back for a long time. And, you know, I, I think he's a victim of, of, of a guy who just loves the game so much and doesn't want to, doesn't see himself doing anything else. Right. And, um, DJ when he's, when, when he was previously in Philly and then he left and then he came back and he came back and was like, man, they find, they got a guy they can trust and they can, you know, yes, he had a, a bad breakup, so to speak. But now that he's back, we own him again and it's, it's just going to be great. But it, what happens with age in any sport, but in particular the NFL, because it's so attritious, right? you just get the crap beat out of you. Um, you start to break down at some point. And I feel like that's, he's limping to the finish. And I hate to see that for a guy who was you know, one of the icons you know, you know, about a decade ago. Does Jerry Jones remind you of James Dolan, the way they both run their organization? <laughs> um. I, ah, that's interesting. Only be, I'm going to say no. And the reason is no, is because at least Jerry tells you what the hell is going on in his mind. Gotcha. James Dolan, you're kind of like, bro, what are you thinking about? Like, just tell me, what's your plan? Do you have any idea? Like, what's, yeah. what's, why, why are you in Highfield Jackson? He's never done this before and pay him a grip, right? Why are you going to do that? Um, Jerry Jones will tell you, well, I'm doing this because I want to win the championship and this and I, and I think it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, then it's on me. Like, at least you know with Jerry Jones. Like, he's very open and he's a great marketer. And he, that's why they can still claim that the uh, the Cowboys are America's team because he either loves, like, it's binary with the Cowboys. You either love them or you hate them. <laughs> and, and I think it's actually a good space to be in in professional sports because people are aware of of your successes and your failures, but at least they're talking about you. You know what I mean? It's like that whole, you know, it, it, no news is bad news, even if it's negative. The, 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 the Cowboys have had a lot of negative news over the last few years, but they're always relevant. Whereas the Knicks, it's been a lot of negative news. I mean, I mean, some sprinkled in some good things that happened here or there, but it, it feels like they're irrelevant, right? And so Jerry Jones has get, done a good job of, um, despite the Cowboys not having success, keeping them relevant. Whereas the Knicks, whether they have had success or not, they're irrelevant. So I think Jerry's done a much better job. Um, so I, I can't say that they're the same. Is Tom Brady just hanging on at this point in his career? You know, I think Tom Brady's scoop is in a spot that a lot of people go through when they're 24 or five years old. That is, I gotta, I'm at a new spot and I need to learn a new offense. I need to find exactly what my role is. And it's happening in a pandemic with a coach and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich, his offensive coordinator, who is like the antithesis of what they did in New England. Mm-hmm. You know, we're throwing the ball downfield. I, I don't care if your arm's a little bit rubbery at this point. We got Mike Evans. We got, uh, you know, Gronk is still there. We, we, we got now Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin. We got guys to stretch the field. We're throwing the ball downfield. So you better figure out how to do it. And by the way, he did this. Uh, and it, without an off season, right? Um, without a, basically real training camp and a disrupted early part of the regular season. So 
I feel like there's, I feel like he's still finding himself, to be honest with you. He's 43 years old. He's the GOAT, obviously. But I think he's still finding himself, and they're trying to identify what their identity is in, in Tampa. It's why we see some of these games where they're, like, they blew out the Green Bay Packers. And yeah. then you, t- you turn around, and they get the floor wiped with themselves against the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's like there's a lot of ups and downs. Like, it's very volatile. Um, and I think a lot of that's just because he's still learning what – uh, this offense is going to be with him at the helm. Is Donovan McNabb a Hall of Famer? I think he is. You know, Donovan had so much success, and yes, he didn't. It didn't culminate in a championship. When you think about, you know, the, the the top two or three greatest quarterbacks in Philadelphia Eagles history, Donovan is there. The problem with Donovan, it's not dissimilar to the problem with me. Like, there's a, you you create this narrative about somebody that that's kind of. It's ignorant of the statistics and ignorant of the moment, like not this moment now, not five or six or eight years removed, but the moment then um, when Donovan was one of the best and most feared quarterbacks in the National Football League, not for like a year or two, but for like five or six years. And, um, you know, he was he was great. He wasn't the greatest at the time, and that's mainly because of the peers. I mean, he was playing with like Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and, and Aaron Rodgers, like the peers in his era were, 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 were heavyweight. Um, but I do think he's a Hall of Famer. It's just going to be really hard for him to get in because it's, the narrative is, is constructed against him. And, and it's not fair, um, but he's an all-time great in Philadelphia, and that, that carries a lot of weight. What's the worst name that you've ever been called in Philadelphia? Um... <laughs> uh, Dude, the worst thing that ever got happened that someone called because so right when I had my baby, uh, my my I have a actually my oldest is eighteen now, which is crazy. So this was back in two thousand two or so, yeah, two thousand two or in three. So AJ was born until two thousand two, and Chase and my youngest son, I have four more after that, four girls after that, um, was born in two thousand and four. And so, and around 2003, I remember being down there. We were having like an off year that year. And Coach uh, uh, Fossil ended up getting fired at the end of that season. I remember being down in Philly and these guys were right on the edge. And my, I used to let my family go to these games, by the way, um, in Philly. And it stopped after this. Uh, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were screaming at me that, um, you know, I, I fumbled so much. That when I got home, I dropped my baby on his head, and he's going to be—I uh, can't even use the words—but he's going he's, he's to be slow uh, because I dropped him so much. By the way, that 18-year-old um, is now committed to go to Princeton. He's one of the good wide, great wide receivers up in Connecticut. Uh, him and uh, his brother played at you know, Greenwich High, and um, he, they won a state championship a couple years ago. But he turned out to be really smart and a pretty good football player as well. Hated to love it. The underdogs on top. I like it. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. Do you think um, that Beef Mode returns to Seattle this season? I can't, dude, can you imagine? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I, I feel like he's been he's been sitting for too long. I haven't seen him. Um, I know he did that thing with Peyton Manning um, a couple. At least it aired a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean. If there's one person that could do it, it would be him, but I don't see it happening. They have a really good runner in Chris Carson, who I, who I really like, and he's, but he's been banged up a lot this season. And if he gets right and this offense can run the ball again effectively, talking about the Seattle offense, then, then they're going to be a threat. Right? And it's the one interesting thing about the NFC scoop. It's like, who stands out? I know the Green Bay Packers are currently the number one seed, but 
they got blown out by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the number six seed. Is it the New Orleans Saints, who Drew Brees has been banged up and Taysom Hill while he's been good and he's won some games, he's leading the league in fumbles um, since he took over as the, as the starting quarterback for the Saints. So they're the number two seed. So uh, you trust them? They just lost to the Eagles, right? And then you then you throw in the Rams. Rams are great until Jared Goff turns the ball over, you know, four times in a game, and they can lose to anybody at that point. So it's like a it's like a crapshoot. It's like a, it's like a toss up, which makes the playoffs in the NFC. It's going to be really compelling. But it also because this is that new year. Remember they added that extra playoff team scoop. So there's there's only one bye week. There's like one team gets the bye week. That's it. So whoever has the number one seed, it is. I mean, it's it's like critical to have the number one seed. Otherwise, you're playing right into the wild card round against any team from you know uh, the Saints right now to I think uh, the Cardinals who are the set current seventh seed who could beat you on any given day, right? And so it, it makes it makes for a fantastic postseason any given Sunday because even the I think the two seed can the Cardinals could beat the, the Saints. You know what I mean? The Buccaneers could beat um, you know, whoever. I forget who is in the third slot right now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like it's, it's a toss-up, right? And that makes it really interesting, um, uh, especially because they added that extra playoff spot. You appeared on my podcast, Scoopy Radio, over the summer, and you talked about how you felt that uh, a certain uh, Seattle Seahawks uh, quarterback is very, very underrated. Yes, he is. The Seahawks play – Washington football team. I'm still getting used to saying Washington football team. I know. It's hard, man. I'm like, I grew up a Redskins fan, so I get, I'm like, I mean, the Washington football team. <laughs> it's just stuck in my head. So, but I'm, get, I'm getting close. Yeah. What do you think about that matchup this weekend? You know, so you obviously know the Giants, my former team, beat the Seahawks last, last weekend and the, or two weekends ago. The reason they were able to do it is because their defensive front their front four um, put a lot of pressure and made um, Russell Wilson keep, look down. Like, so instead of looking up out the field, I said, oh, this guy's coming open. Instead of looking downfield, he was constantly looking at the front four of the New York Giants and all the pressure they were able to get on him. And that's, that's how you make Russell Wilson average. When you, when you, when you, when you allow him to feel uh, pressured and uncomfortable in the pocket, then, then there's a chance that you can you can beat them and disrupt him and how good how good he is. Now, the one thing the Giants um, or one thing the, the Washington football team has over the New York Giants is their front four might be the best in football. Whether it's uh, you know Chase Young who was just drafted number one. By the way, all four of those guys on the defensive front, Chase um, uh, Chase Young. Chase Young, uh, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, and, and Jonathan Allen, they're all first-round draft picks. So their front defensive four are all first-round draft picks each in subsequent years. So 20, 19, 18, 17, first-round draft picks. And then you throw Ryan Kerrigan, who was a 2012 or so first-round draft pick, as a, as a situational guy. They got, they got guys that can get after you. And so if there's a team in the NFL that's going to be a pain in the ass for Russell Wilson, it's going to be the Washington football team. So – um, I think they have a good chance of beating them. And let's not forget, Ron Rivera, who is the new head coach at Washington, came in there and it was, yeah. we got to change, we got to change our, our culture. We got to change our attitude. We got to be, we got to, we got to risk. We got to trust each other. It's why they went for two against the Giants the first time they played and they ended up losing that game by a point, 19 to uh, 20 to 19. Um, and so, but this mentality has, has, I think, taken over the Washington football team. It's why Ron is such a great coach. Coach Rivera is such a great coach 
and they've won three games in a row or four games in a row, whatever it is. They're six and uh, six and seven right now, and 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 sitting atop the NFC East. I think they could beat anybody. But they won last weekend. They didn't even score an offensive touchdown, right? It just tells you how dominant this, their defense can be. Um, I, I like Washington. Um, I, I've not, not personally because I'm, I'm a Giants fan. Um, and, and my like, loyalties changed when the paycheck started coming from the Meadowlands <laughs> uh, as opposed to uh, you know, being a, 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 South, a, South, uh, a Southwestern Virginia boy. Um, but I like where Washington is headed. I like where the culture has started to shift. We talked about on the field with Ron Rivera. They hired a young black, you know, great, great McKinsey, former McKinsey executive, Jason Wright, to be their new president. And he's changing things from the top down. I mean, football, we, we focus on what happens on the field, but success happens from the top down. That's uh, yep. why, why the Steelers are always as good as they are. It's why the Seahawks are always as good as they are. It's why, you know, the Giants historically have been that way, the top down. Um, is how you win in, this nat- in, in the National Football League. And they're starting to get it right in Washington, finally. It's been a long time, but they're finally starting to get it right again. You're rocking a, a Virginia Cavaliers hoodie, and I'm curious. Well, well. Here you go. Cam Chancellor and Kenny Easley, are there similarities between the two? You know, that's an interesting, interesting question. Kenny Easley's old school, man. Like, he... He, I, we had him on our show, oh God, I think it was like Scoop five or six Radio. months ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't realize how impactful of a player he was because when I was watching him, I was young and just kind of like just watching the game. Um, but Cam Chancellor was the same way. Um, and it, it, was, it, was, it was this new era of big, uh, physically dominant secondary players. Right. And like, right. And so when – when that came into the league, it challenged like speed. Because like, it used to be, hey, speed, 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 speed. But physicality ends up winning, I think, in football. Um, and we saw this in the Super Bowl. What year was it? It was in New York. Um, it was the Seahawks Super Bowl. Seahawks against, against the Denver Broncos. I can't remember which one it was or what year it was. Maybe it was 2015, 2014 to 15. But I remember that game. And obviously everybody remembers the, you know, the early you know, safety and things that happened in that game. But Peyton Manning's first series, he completed, uh, after the fumble, he completed three passes, right? Three completions for Peyton Manning. He got nine yards. Three passes for nine yards. And I remember saying, this is going to be a long day for Denver because they got safeties and corners who are going to come up and knock the crap out of it. They'll let you complete passes, but you're, getting, you're catching and getting, and getting tackled right there. So I think there are a lot of similarities in their games because of the physicality that they brought to a position that, that historically wasn't that physical. Steve Nash is a first-year head coach with the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's going to be fun. advice for him? My advice for Steve, and I've never been a head coach, um, but I've had some good ones, you've you got to be authentic in who you are. And he's got a he's got a challenge because of uh, his roster, and I'm talking obviously specifically about Kyrie Irving. Um, Kyrie has a very unique personality, and I don't I'm not saying this in a bad way because I actually I actually enjoy having a conversation with him. I've I've, had, I've met him a couple of times, and the conversations are they're deep, but they're real. Like and, and it's you got to take time to understand your player. It can't be it can't be. Um, all strokes for all guys. Like it's, it's different strokes for different folks. You know what I mean? And and for Coach Nash, 
who's never had to do this. Like he's never had to manage different personalities. The, the easiest way to do it is to just be yourself. Like don't try to be fake. Don't try to, don't come in and be hard or be, you know, whatever. You just got, you got to be yourself and develop a relationship because superstars run the NBA. And as much as people get frustrated with Kyrie, he's still a superstar. Um, Kevin Durant, obviously, is coming off his injury. He's a superstar. Like they, they need they need cohesion, and the only way that's going to start with Coach Nash. So cohesion is key. Now there, he's also very lucky because Mike D'Antoni is an assistant, what we like to call his offensive coordinator, and Jacques Vaughn, who they held on to, is kind of like their defensive coordinator. So they have they have this unique makeup of coaches. Uh, Jock was obviously the interim head coach for a while, um, and D'Antoni is a longtime head coach. He has resources to draw off of, but at the at its core, you got to be the relationship guy, especially with superstars on your squad. Do you think that uh, they played well against the uh, Washington Wizards without Russell Westbrook? Um, yeah, they've been on Instagram Live, they've had conversations, and you know. Um, but I, I guess my question for you is: Do you think when the actual NBA season starts? there will be a gelling period for Kyrie and KD. Yeah, I think, you know what, Scoop? I think it's going to be that way for everybody. This is a weird season, right? Because, the, I mean, the postseason, I feel like it ended yesterday. You know what I mean? I feel like it ended like a week ago. It ended today. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but it, I, I think there's, 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 there's certainly a acclimation period that's going to be, it, it could be a little rough, right? Because we, we remember what KD was really good at when he was in Golden State. Um, right. less, less so when he was in Oklahoma city, cause that was, that was a lot of ice ball. I mean, he'd, he'd get a rebound or he'd take the inbound pass. He'd come all, he'd just come all the way up the court, find his, like run right to his spot while dribbling and take the shot. Right. It was all, it was, it was ice ball. but in golden state, it was movement. It was, you know, you're running around screens, you're back picking, you're doing all these different things to find, you know, the open guy, like the right it's shot was always radio. taken. Now it often included a lot of, K, of, of KD, because once KD was on his spot, it was the right shot, regardless of who was guarding him. Um, and and I think in in, in Houston, I mean not Houston, um, um, in in Brooklyn now with Mike D'Antoni coming from Houston, who has this this more free flowing right. If you know if you can take a high percentage you know layup or a three pointer, then take it. Like there's no such thing as a bad three point shot. Uh, they're gonna have some troubles, like pulling KD back. To what he used to be, and and Kyrie not being you know a selfish point guard, uh, which is which is hard. Remember this? You remember when he was in um, Kyrie was in uh, Cleveland, and LeBron James came back to yeah. Cleveland, right? There was a game, and I think it was a preseason game. And if it wasn't a preseason game, it was early in the season that first year where LeBron came back, and Kyrie took like twenty shots and finished the game with zero assists. Zero. He's a point guard. Zero assists. And it became public. LeBron was like, Kyrie, you will never finish a game again with zero assists, right? It is your job to right. facilitate for everyone else. You have a ton of skill. You create. You suck defenders to you. Kick it out to somebody who's open. And you trust, trust your teammates. And so, like, this trust uh, you know, ratio or quotient, whatever you want to call it, whatever word you want to use, it's something that's going to take some time, I think, with this one, a new offense, and new, a, new, a new superstar teammate in KD. But it's going to be fun. I mean, they're going to be one of the funnest teams. And plus, they held on to my boy from Virginia, Joe Harris, uh, the sharpshooter from Joe from Virginia, they held on to. I, I like their squad. 
Um, but they got a lot of melding and growing together to do. And Joe Harris got the bag. Yes. <laughs> Good for him. See, you know, you don't just go to Virginia and go work on Wall Street, you know. You, you can go to the pros and get paid, too. Couple more questions. All right, bro. Vince Carter retired after 22 seasons. Just you. Dude. Dude, he is um, – I was in Atlanta um, two years – maybe it was last year. It was, it was 2019. I was down there for a board meeting for Culture City, which is an autism organization that me and my wife work with. And I was, we were at the Phillips, I think it's called Phillips. Yeah. Phillips arena. Yeah. And we were just walking around and I'm like in the arena. Cause we were there with the Atlanta Hawks folks and Dominique Wilkins was hanging out with us. And I hear like pounding, dribbling, pounding, pounding. And I'm like, who the heck is on the court? And this is, this is all season. I'm like, who the heck is in the court? And it was, it was Vince Carter. Like he was just down there taking, like putting up shots, just putting up shots. So that dude played forever because he never stopped working uh, mm-hmm. ever. Um, and, it, and it was cool to see him because I remember a, a, a guy I went to school with at UVA, his name was Walt Deary. He was mm-hmm. a tight end. He was a good basketball player at Northside, uh, North I think it was Northside, North, Northside High School. So he played football and basketball, but he was a really good high school basketball player. Had one of, you know, I think, you know, state record or close to the state record in rebounds. And he said he was playing in this tournament. Um, and you know, on the other team was Vince Carter mm-hmm. and, and Vince Carter was, uh, you know, was, was like hanging around the perimeter and Walt's like, all right, I, he's not getting the ball. So he's just kind of paying attention to the point guard. And then the point guard like starts running at him and he just throws up this like wild, like hook shot. And Walt's like, what, where the hell is that going? And here comes Vince Carter just like flying, just smashes it in his face. Dude, Vince Carter, he's one of my favorite players ever to watch play the game. Because, I mean, obviously he was at North Carolina when I was at Virginia. But mm-hmm. that dude, he's a legend, man. He is an absolute legend. But what I meant to say is not just like you. You didn't play for 22 years. He transitioned yeah. to media just like you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, Vince is you, – when you have a personality and you have the ability to communicate – Media calls you, man, and you, you learn this through your, your years as a player. Um, you know, you're, you're asked to get in front of people. You're asked to meet certain people. And, you know, for me, and I'm sure it's the same for Vince, uh, because I was in, you know, a lot of different um, environments where I met a lot of different people, from players to executives to um, other people in the media, like the transition was, was easier for me because I had perspectives from all angles of it. Now I think Vince is the same way. Like, like when you, when you understand what an owner um, uh, thought process is, you know, relative to a player's thought process, relative to the media that's covering all of that, it, it allows you to have this perspective. Like you can see it from a higher level. And so when you start getting asked questions, well, what the hell is going on with XYZ team? It's like you have so many angles that you can attack it from. It's it's media's it, it just calls you, and I, I think I think he's going to be great at it. Obviously, when I look at the running back position in the NFL, um, I feel like a lot of people pay attention to the wide receiver position and the quarterback. Yep. Those are the positions. But when I look at the running back position, a couple of things come to mind for me. Having grown up in both Northern New Jersey and New York City, and going to college in the Philadelphia area. I remember watching you and then watching uh, 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 Brian Westbrook take it. Brian Westbrook, hell yeah. And then Shady came in. I mean, there have been some good backs in New York. I mean, don't forget Ahmad Bradshaw when he was here and and, Mm -hmm. and 
Brandon Jacobs. I mean, we had some good running backs back in the day in this Philly, New York quarter here. Here's my question. When you look at the running back position, A, yep. you think that Westbrook was ahead of his time, and B, Definitely. do you think that's what the running back position looks like now? Absolutely. That, and there's one exception, and I'll get to it in a second. Brian Westbrook was a guy, I mean, I love the dude, but I hated playing against him because he, he was impossible to stop. Right? He, no matter what you ask him, it was similar to things that I was asked to do, but it was even more so um, as a wide receiver for him. And, you know, we're going to screen you to death uh, yeah. in Philly. At least back then, this was, this was the Andy Reid Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to screen you to death. We're going to come up with, you know, cross screens. We're going to come you know, set this way, but we're screening out the backside. Like it was, it was, he was all over, and he could do it all, right? But he could also stand in the backfield and dot an eye and run between the tackles, right? I think that's what the position wants to be, and I think it, 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 teams are trying to find that guy who can do it all, and there's not a ton of them. Um, uh, Christian McCaffrey obviously fits the mold, but he's been banged up this whole season. Who knows if he gets healthy after they paid him $16 million a year. Um, Le'Veon Bell was that guy, but he, you know, he got contentious with the Steelers and forced his way out. And then he's, you know, he, he, he lost some years with the Jets and now he's back with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but you know, he's, I don't want to say he's past his prime, but he's not, he's not in that, 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 that growth window anymore. Um, but I do think that NFL teams are looking for that specific player and they'll draft them in the first round if they find them. That's why Saquon Barkley got drafted, uh, that high. That's why Dalvin Cook. And the Minnesota um, uh, Vikings got drafted that high. That's why Cam Akers, who was, who was hurt in the early part of the season, is now coming on for the L.A. Rams because you need that home run hitter who can right. also be a tough between-the-tackles runner. And it's not always the, you know, the 6'2", 220, 35-pounder, which brings me to my one exception. This frustrates me more than anything in football, Scoop. The MVP race has become a quarterback race. It's <laughs> all about... Which quarterback has the greatest stats? Is it Aaron Rodgers with the greatest stats? Is it is it uh, 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 who else could it be in this year? Uh, is it is it Pat Mahomes with the greatest stats? Was it Tom Brady? Um, you know, back in 2017, and this frustrated me. In 2017, uh, Todd Gurley had one of the great running back seasons in in the last two decades, mm-hmm. and they couldn't give him the MVP because they had to give it to Tom Brady because he threw 50 touchdowns on the best team, the dynasty of the, of the last two, two decades. Instead, they made Todd Gurley the offensive MVP, uh, offensive most, whatever they call it, offensive player of the year, and they gave, you know, they gave Tom Brady the MVP. This year, and, and there is no question that, that Derrick Henry, who is the one exception to the rule that I was talking about because he is 6'3", 225, 30 pounds, and a bruiser. But he's already rushed for 1,500 yards. He's got three games, and he, if he rushes for 190 or so yards these last three games, he's going to pass Eric Dickerson for the all-time rushing record in National Football League history. And if you take Derrick Henry off the Tennessee Titans, they are a below 500 team. Like, he is the most valuable player in football, especially to the Tennessee Titans in the way that they play football. And whether it's, you know, pounding you in submission or getting into a four-minute offense where we got to run out the clock and he goes 60 yards and hits his head on the goalpost. Derrick Henry is the man. He's the best running back in football right now. And nobody's talking about him being an MVP. Nobody's talking about him being the best running back in, in, in football. And it frustrates me because when you have that guy and Derrick Henry is that dude, you better appreciate him because you don't come along that often. <laughs> 
this this sounds like the the NFL version of whether or not uh, Giannis or LeBron were the MVP. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because if you take LeBron James off the LA Lakers, they might win thirty games, maybe. And I, I know you got AD there. AD's a superstar. They yes. might win thirty games. And like he, the way he reinvented himself, talking about LeBron now in the Lakers, the way he reinvented himself to being you know part Magic, part I don't know, part Kobe. To be honest with you, um, and winning a championship was. I mean, he's he's been in the league for seventeen years, Scoop, seventeen, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's playing like that. I mean, come on, I, I would be walking if I was playing seventeen years or sixteen at that point. Tiki, while I have you on the line, James Harden. If, if yep. Nas wrote the song, If I Ruled the World, if you rule the world of the dead, do you like him in Milwaukee? Do you like mm-hmm. him in Brooklyn? Do you like him in Miami? Or do you like him staying in Houston? Mm-hmm. I bring all my sons. I love them, love them, baby. Yes, got sir. Could it be? You just mine. <laughs> um, you know what? I would love to see him in Milwaukee. I would love that. Um, it feels like it's getting really toxic in Houston, and it's almost like he's taking on this apathetic view, like, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, you've never seen him like that. Like, okay, I'm just here. I'm just doing... So I, I think a change of scenery is necessary. And um, I got pushed back from BT, my, my co-host, about mm-hmm. Milwaukee. But the reason I like Milwaukee is because Coach Budenhauser plays a system that is very similar to what he did in Houston, except, except defensively, it's more pack line. It's like, all right, if, if you're going to you don't have to play man and defend like, like, like vigorously. So you're wearing out your energy and not being able to use it offensively. It's, you know, if you're going to take, if you're going to beat us shooting three pointers, then go ahead, beat us shooting three three pointers. Um, But we're going to beat you by also shooting three pointers and having um, the best Greek freak, um, you know, offensive unstoppable player uh, in the post that we, that we can have. So if you have a combo of, James Harden and Giannis. Now, you probably have to give up Chris Middleton and probably Drew Holiday as well. So it'd be, it would be, you'd probably gut your team to make that trade happen. But in, in theory, James Harden in a system that's somewhat familiar to what he likes to do offensively. And I think um, could, uh, um, it's, it's, co- it's, it's, it's good enough for him defensively, I think would make, make the most. I would love to see him in Milwaukee and a small market. Um, and you know what? They'd be a favorite to win the championship. There would be, wouldn't be a doubt about it. And no Philly. I don't see Philly, man, because, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't love their construction right now, the, the yeah. construction of the, of the, of the, um, the 76ers. Like, uh, last year it was intriguing to me when they got big, right? They bring in Al Horford. They have, uh, I mean, Ben Simmons is a, a 6'10 point guard, right? And Joel Embiid is 7'1", and then Tobias Harris. It's like, they were massive. They were like like trees. But it was all. But it, when it came down to it, it's like, yeah. But who plays basketball like that anymore? You know what I mean? Like like we play it inside out all of a sudden. Like what the hell's going on? Um, so I, I I think there's just too much work to be done down there. Now uh, Daryl Morey is there, so I believe uh, he's gonna you know get really creative and start tinkering with Philly. Philly I think has a real shot in a couple of years. But I don't, I don't like it for James Harden right now at 31 years old. Um, mm-hmm. He's got to be somewhere that's set up to win him a championship. Now, it becomes a super team, which is, which is odd if he goes to Milwaukee, that is. It becomes a super team because I think Giannis wasn't like, – that's not his deal. Um, but it, it, it would be fun. It would be really fun if he was in Milwaukee. 
Well, you didn't mention Brooklyn, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, talk about egos. I mean, the only reason it would be smart in Brooklyn is because Joe Stye, uh, who is the owner of the Brooklyn uh, Nets, is that he looks at, um, you know, the, the, the sport as also a marketing tool and a sales tool. And when you look at top 10 jersey sales, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden. I mean, you're raking in cash yep. if, he, if he ends up going there. That that would make sense from a business standpoint. Well, it'd be interesting to see how they all mesh. Not enough shots. Uh, shot, it was not enough shots for James Harden to be in Brooklyn. Well, here's the good news, sir, Mr. Knight Rider. You're off the hot seat. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. It wasn't that hot. It was like a little warm, a little toasty, comfy. Comfy for the snowy day up here in the Northeast. <laughs> That's yes, that's right. Thank you for your time. Always, brother. Be good, man. Be blessed, and uh, see you soon. Yes, sir. And this is Scoopy Radio saying, "You bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Duncan." Come on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.